Culture with Justin Pearson. This is Justin Pearson, and I'm with Bobby Bray, a fellow locust, a current member of Innards, and we are here to talk about science. Yeah, I just wanted to, to tell a story about um, when I was at UCSD, after you know touring with the locust for a good portion of life, a decade there, I guess, I was, I was taking these really cool classes, and I started to uh, discover the field of psychoacoustics which is the field of, you know, how the brain perceives sound, essentially. So, and I, I, I uh, found out that there was this guy, David Huron, who was coming to UCSD. And so he, I kind of, like, snuck into this little conference room where he was, I don't know if he was, like, applying for a job at UCSD. Um, but he has these crazy theories, and he basically justified um, uh, the music that we've been creating for, like, over a decade. It blew my mind. And basically he was talking about how music can elicit goosebumps. Uh, Frisian is like the actual term. And so he started running down this list of things that you know he'd studied and citing all these other researchers. And it turned out it was like everything that we did. And so one of the things is, uh, is screaming. He was like, yeah, like screaming, somehow it elicits like this evolutionary reaction. And apparently, so what happens is screaming, um, the actual frequency of screaming is within uh, 3,000 and 4,000 hertz, like certain frequency. And so there's this thing, the Fletcher-Munson curve, which describes the, the, you know, how we hear as humans, like the, the sort of frequencies that we're more sensitive to than others. And so that range is actually the most sensitive frequency. Is like, and so, and it kind of makes sense, you know, if there's like a bear that's killing someone, you might need to hear that scream and be like, oh shit, humans are dying, I better go the other way or help that person or, you know, whatever. So, and it has this, this thing where it, it elicits goosebumps. So people, you know, hair on the back of their necks stand up and it's, it's like this really thing. It's just this crazy thing. And like people like really enjoy this. People seek this out. And so that was one of the things. And he's like sheer like loudness. So like extremely, you know, loud music. So, okay, yeah, that's what we do. And then like really rapid and unexpected rhythm changes and just like changes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, everything he's saying, I'm like, that's what we've like completely try to do our entire lives oh my gosh and so uh and so the thing with this is like when there's unexpected changes it's a very pleasurable thing apparently because it's kind of like so the example he used was like a surprise party if you have a surprise party so you're you're kind of going to some dark room and then like you know 30 people scream at you like ah surprise ah! and so it freaks you out and you're like oh my god fight or flight i'm gonna die ah and you're like oh no it's like 30 of my friends this is great. What a great contrast. Not only am I not going to die, but all my friends are here and they're like all happy to see me. And so that emotional contrast has this way of, of making someone feel really good, like even better than you would have if you just saw your 30 friends. So musically, it's the same thing is happening. It's like you don't know what's going to happen. Like crazy change happens. Like, oh my God, what happened? Oh, that was a great change. And so and it's, I mean, and it's certainly not just, you know, the music we've created, but I mean, there's certainly a lot of people, I think, uh, that sort of follow these rules without knowing it. It's just, it's fun now to look back and go, oh, yeah, the science has caught up to what subgenres of music has, have been doing for a while. And he even, like, mentions Screamo. He's like, there's even this genre called Screamo. And it's like, you know, kind of like a cringeworthy thing, because, like, we hate the term Horrible Screamo. Horrible term. Yeah. But it's like, I knew what he was talking about. So like afterwards, I was like, oh, my God, David Huron, you, you totally, like, validated 15 years of my life sure. or 10 years of my life. And he's like, oh, that's great, yeah. But it's also, like, ahead of the curve because we would always hear, like, what are you doing? Like, play those parts longer or you have all this stuff just crammed together and no one really understood it artistically. So maybe 
takes a while for humans to catch up. Yeah, I mean, and certainly, like, uh, like I've, you know, we've probably experienced this from listening to other music, you know, like all kinds of different music elicit this. And I remember people coming up to us after shows like, oh my gosh, when you guys were playing, I totally got chills. And I was like, really? You got chills? And I was think now I think about it, I'm like, oh yeah, like different people are singing, like one moment Gabe's singing, then you, then me, it's like, you know, it's like, you can't really tell what's going to happen. And so it's, it's interesting, I think, you know, uh, what I think is interesting is that musicians, certainly like current artists and, and people now, we, we have all these resources, we have all this literature, we all have all, we have all this science to refer to. And so in terms of composition, you can look at these things and you can apply these things, you know, not necessarily in a scientific you know, way, but you can say, oh, I know, this is what we know as a species, we've figured this out. So now I'm going to implement this idea from psychoacoustics into my crazy hardcore band or whatever. And I think there should be more of that. <laughs> There's no reason for it. There should be more collaborations between um, science and punk or hardcore or, you know, subgenres. The music. ethics of punk and hardcore in science. Yeah, like the like you know like the sort of like thought process. Yeah, and I think another that's another thing. Science, generally speaking, is this sort of like really rigid thing. In fact, there's there's this guy uh, Rupert Sheldrick. He's like this. He was like Cambridge like head of biology department for a while, I believe. And and he he has this great book, um, The Science Delusion. It's all about uh, how materialists are really like ruining science because it's so rigid, it's so close-minded, and it's like involves human beings that are like trying to build credibility, and it makes it really hard for people to study weirder stuff. So one of the things like Rupert, Rupert Sheldrick studies is like the sense of being stared at, and he has statistical data showing that it's beyond randomness. And he's well-credentialed, yet people think he's crazy. It's like, <laughs> what, what the heck? He has a PhD. He's like head of the biology department at, at, at Cambridge. You know, like, I mean, even if you, if you equate that with art, too, I mean, you look at artists that do something that's considered absurd, they're just, they're insane, and they don't want, if you don't understand it, you just kind of write it off as, like, garbage or whatever, you know? Yeah, I think there's, there's an evolutionary need for people to sort of go against the grain. I think that, like, I think for, you know, maybe people like us or whatever, people in bands and, and artists, it's like, comes natural, but it's like, there's, there's like a need for that to happen for the evolution of the of the consciousness of our species like we, we need to have those people on the on the end of the bell curve to really like push the boundaries to like take us to the next paradigm so we can so we can progress otherwise we stagnate as a as a as a culture or as a species even i i completely agree that was colton culture with justin pearson 